Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be Psalm 10. If you are using one of the Blue Pew Bibles, uh, you will find Psalm 10 on page 451. Psalm 10. Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. Why, O Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call the wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing upon the preaching of His Word here this morning. Father God, we do come before You humbly this morning. Asking that the same Spirit who inspired David to write these words would now be at work among us as we hear them read and preached. May this word truly have its effect. May it bring forth its harvest in our lives that we might be to the praise of your glory and the good of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For many people... The problem of evil, as it is so often called, is an insurmountable obstacle to Christian faith. How 
can the God who is revealed in the pages of Scripture, how can the God who is all-powerful and at the same time all-good, how can the God who works all things according to the counsel of His perfect will, how can such a God exist and all the evil that we see throughout the world? How can those two truths be, be reconciled? There's no doubt that we live in a world filled with evil and injustice. Just this week, we we heard of the death of a political prisoner in China. We we heard about this this man who had stood up to the, the gross injustices of his country and suffered brutally for it. And we know that such human rights violations are are not limited to, to China, but they are found in countries throughout the world. We hear of them in North Korea, and Syria, and Russia, and Sudan, and Afghanistan, and in Pakistan, just to name a few at the, the top of the list. And in many parts of the world, the, the violence which is perpetrated against the, 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 the helpless is specifically directed against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Around the world, many Christians suffer and die for their faith. I'm sure you've heard the statistic before, but it's been said that in the 20th century, more believers died for their faith than in the previous 19 centuries combined. And the rate of persecution has only increased in the 21st century. Whether you're a Christian or not, such targeted persecution against those unable to defend themselves is surely a sign of gross injustice. Surely a sign of rampant Evil. And evil is not just out there in, in countries on the other side of the world. We, we see it right here in the United States. This week on the, the World Radio podcast, I, I listened to the, Missouri, the governor of Missouri speak about a new program in his state that is designed to stop sex trafficking. Because it is a major problem right there in the heartland of our country. And of course, it's not limited to... Missouri. It is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. Last night, my my kids watched American Ninja Warrior, and the the charity that was being supported by the event was something called the Red Nose Charity. I'd never heard of it before, but it was a charity which is designed to address hunger among children in the United States. The statistics say that one in four children in the United States go hungry on the weekends. I don't know how accurate those numbers are, but, but regardless, I think we can all agree that if there are children going hungry right here in the land of plenty, that is evil. That is unjust. That is, that is a sign that something is terribly wrong. And of course, we could point to other signs of injustice as well. A book was published recently referring to our judicial system as the new Jim Crow, as the the arm of oppression against minorities and the poor. We live in a world where injustice is rampant, where injustice is undeniable. And it is hard to reconcile these things with God's sovereign rule over creation. We heard this morning in our call to worship that God works all things according to the counsel of His will. Our God does whatever He pleases. But how can that be true and all of this other stuff be true at the same time? It's a hard 
question. Not just for non-Christians, but, but for Christians as well. We struggle with this question. We struggle to, to reconcile these things. We, we struggle to make sense of what we see in the world around us. How can God sit back and let such things happen again and again and again? Why does He stand far off? Why doesn't He intervene? Why doesn't He put a stop to it? The first thing I want you to see this morning in Psalm 10 is that that is the very question that David is wrestling with. That is the question on David's mind as he composes this psalm. Look again at verse 1. David cries out, Why, O Lord, why do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? These desperate words introduce the theme of the psalm, the, the theme that is on David's mind. And the theme is the apparent absence of God, his apparent disregard, his, his apparent neglect of his chosen people. Why, David asks, why have you forsaken us? Why haven't you come to save us? Why haven't you done something about the evil that runs rampant all around us? That is David's complaint. Bad people are doing all sorts of bad things, and God seems to be doing nothing about it. And notice who it is that David is complaining against. We, we see this in verses 2 through 11. What we notice is that David's concern in this psalm is, is somewhat different than in the previous psalms of lament that we have studied In the previous Psalms, David's focus was upon his own enemies. It was upon those who were seeking to persecute him and and the anguish that they were causing him. We we saw this, for example, in Psalm 3. David says, how many are my foes? In Psalm 4, he says, I was in distress. In Psalm 5, he says, O Lord, consider my groaning. In Psalm 6, it was, I am languishing, my bones are troubled. In Psalm 7, it was, save me from my pursuers. In Psalm 9, it was, my enemies are attacking me. Again and again, David has cried out to God against his enemies. He he has cried for relief from his suffering. But Psalm 10 is different. In Psalm 10, there is no mention of David's foes. There, There is no mention of David's distress. He is perplexed by evil. He is is perplexed by unrighteousness as evil, as unrighteousness, as it exists out there in the world. Look again at what he writes. He says, in arrogance, the wicked pursue the poor. The wicked boast of the desires of their soul. I can do what I want. God can't do anything about me. He, He renounces and curses The Lord, his thoughts are there is no God. He puffs at his foes. Those who who stand against him are just simply blown out of the way. He says in his heart, I will not be moved. I will never face adversity. I will never be stopped. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. His his tongue are, are filled with mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages In hiding places, he he murders the innocent. His eyes watch for the helpless. He lurks that he might seize the poor. 
The helpless are crushed. They sink down. They they fall by His might. He says in his heart, God will never see. I can do what I want. His description reminds me of the unjust judge that we studied in the parable of the persistent widow found in in Luke chapter 18. You may remember how, how Jesus described that judge. He was described as a man who neither feared God nor respected man. He had no fear of God. He he said in his heart, God is not there. God will not call to account. And therefore, he felt free to do whatever he wanted to whomever he wanted. He, He did whatever was in his advantage, no matter what it meant for his neighbors. He was willing to to take advantage of whomever he could. He was willing to neglect whomever he needed to. He was even willing to murder her if it was to his Advantage. That's this man that, that David is talking about. That's the man that, that David is complaining against. He has no fear of the Lord, and therefore he does whatever suits him. Whatever is right in his own eyes. And he seems, at least for the moment, to be getting away with it. Look again at verse 5. His ways prosper. His judgments are out of sight, God says. I, I don't, he doesn't remember me. He puffs at his foes. So in this psalm, David is not crying against his enemies. He's he's not crying against those who are persecuting him, but rather he is crying out against evil and injustice and oppression in general as it exists. He sees all that is going on around him and he is perplexed just as we are perplexed. He is distressed just as we are distressed. He doesn't understand how his God could allow these things to happen. I think there are at least two things that we need to see in this. And the first thing that I want you to see is simply this. I want you to see this morning that David doesn't skirt the question. He faces it head on. If you are not a believer this morning, if the, the problem of evil has, has been an obstacle to, to you coming to faith, or if you are skeptical about the, the teachings of Scripture because you cannot reconcile them with the reality of your experience in this fallen world, I want you to be encouraged. Not necessarily by the answer that David gives. You, you may or may not find that satisfactory this morning. But I want you to be encouraged by the fact that David faces the question. David, the the man after God's own heart. David, the man who put down Goliath. David, the man who established the, the kingdom of God in Israel. David wrestled with this question. And you ought to be encouraged by that. You ought to be encouraged by the fact that 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 he saw the problem and he faced it. If you are a believer, if you are an unbeliever, if you are wrestling with the problem of evil, you need to be encouraged by the fact that David asked the same question. Because it encourages you to see that, that first of all, the, the question is not an anomaly. It is not proof that these things are not true. It is not proof that you are somehow alienated from God. It is not true that you are outside the center of God's will because you are suffering. It is not true that God is is absent because there is injustice in the world. And what David does is exactly what we should do. We should go to God with our questions. Rather than fleeing from Him, we should flee 
to Him. We should bring our distress. We should bring our perplexity. We should bring our questions before God in prayer. Because we must bring our groaning to Him. And that is, that is my first challenge to you this, this morning. If you get nothing else out of this psalm, learn this. That when you are perplexed by evil, when you have questions about what is going on, when, when you stand dumbfounded because of what you see going on in the world, do not pretend that it is not happening, but rather bring your cares and your concerns to God. For He is your only refuge. He is your only hope. He is the only one who can put right what is wrong with this world. But there's a second thing that we need to see here as well. We need to see that that David is actually concerned with all that he sees going on. He, He is concerned about the injustice. He is concerned about the evil. He is concerned about it as injustice. He is concerned about it not because it is affecting him, but simply because it is wrong. See, it's, it's easy enough for us to cry out to God when, when we are the ones suffering. It's, it's easy enough for us to cry out to God when the evil is directly affecting us. David does more than this. He cries out against these people not because, not because he is suffering, but because he knows that it is evil, because he knows it is contrary to God's design, because he knows things ought not to be this way. He sees it going on all around him. And he cries out to God to make it stop. I think it's important for us to to see this. It's it's important for us to to recognize that we must be like David in this. As Christians, we must not be unconcerned with injustice simply because it does not touch us. Simply because it does not affect us personally. Personally. As Christians, we must be prepared to weep with those who weep. As Christians, we must hate those who do evil, those who abuse the poor, those who oppress the helpless, those who suppress the marginalized, and those with the least resources. I know that's not something you are used to hearing a pastor say. You are not used to hearing a a pastor tell you to to hate someone. That sounds strange in our ears. It doesn't uh, sound like something that that is very Christian. So let me offer two clarifying comments. First, there is no doubt that the call to hate the wicked is biblical. It is not popular. It is not in vogue in our our day and age. But it it is... Biblical. The the Psalms teach us, as we have seen in our study this summer, that God hates the wicked. And David regularly appeals to his hate of those whom God hates as a sign of his virtue. He says to God, do I not hate those whom you hate? We don't know what to do with that, but but it's what the Scripture says. So the first thing that we must see is that not hating the wicked does not make you more biblical. It does not make you more Christian. It does not make you more righteous, but less so. But second, and this is vital, don't don't hear the first without hearing the second. You must understand that hating the wicked does not mean denying them grace or rejoicing in their destruction. Hear that. Hating the wicked as as God hates them does not mean denying them grace or rejoicing in their destruction. God 
hates the wicked, but He offers them grace. God hates the wicked, but He does not delight in their destruction. God hates the wicked, and yet He weeps as He rides into Jerusalem. He weeps that that they would reject the One who would bring them peace. We we can't reconcile those. We we struggle with that. And and we, we tend to fall off one side or the other. We, we, we think if we're, going to, if we're going to long for the salvation of the wicked, then we must tolerate them. Or, or we think, well, if we're going to hate them, then we must, we must bully them and we must, we must seek their destruction. Neither is what we are called to. We, we struggle with this, but, but let us seek to be biblical. Let us seek to, to hate the wicked even as we long for their salvation. We, we long for... For them to repent and and to receive the gift of eternal life. We long for their eyes to be open to what would bring them peace. That's hard for us to balance. In our day and age, we we try to say it this way. We try to say, well, you hate the sinner. I mean, sorry, you hate the sin by by loving the sinner. And and maybe maybe there's something to that. Maybe maybe there's something to that way of, of speaking. You see, what we what we hate is not the person. We don't seek the destruction of the of the person. What we hate is, is who they are and what they are doing. The, the, the evil that they are perpetrating. We, we long for it to end. We long for the evil to be brought to an end. We long for wickedness to be no more. We long for injustice to be made right. But we long for the one who is doing it to be saved. We long for them to to turn from their sin before it is too late, while today is still the day of salvation. And how do we possibly hold these two poles together? How do we we possibly do both at the same time? It is is hard. It It is maybe impossible for us as human beings. But it is God Himself who has woven these two truths together in the gift of His Son. In the cross, we see justice and mercy kiss. In the cross, these these two truths are, are woven together in perfect unity because in the cross, we see God's perfect hatred of sin. We see that He can by no means clear the guilty. We see that His wrath must be poured out. And we see that He so loved the world that He gave His only Son That whosoever should believe in Him, whosoever should believe in Him, should not perish but have eternal life. In the cross, these are woven together. And it is in Christ that we are able both to hate the wicked and long for their salvation because you ought to desire that the wicked die. But you ought to desire that they die in Christ. Because if they die in Christ, if they are put to death together with Him, then they can be raised to new life. They can be raised to to walk in, in holiness. They can, like you, be called out of darkness and set aside to be holy and blameless in His sight. Do you not realize that you, like the rest of mankind, were under the wrath of God? That you, like the rest of mankind, because of your evil deeds, were hostile towards Him This is not just true of of them. This was true of us. 
And we had to die if we were going to be saved. We had to be crucified with Christ if we were going to receive new life. Yes, we long for wickedness to be destroyed. But we long for it to be destroyed in Christ. That those who who now hate God, those who now curse His name, might be called to new life in Him. That like the Apostle Paul himself, a, 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 a vehement blasphemer against God, might become the great Ebenezer Stone's of His grace. This is what we long for. In this psalm, there is no doubt that that David's focus, David's focus is upon the need for justice. His focus is upon the, the need for the wicked to be dealt with. But do not miss the fact that the call for justice, the call for God to act, does not preclude mercy. Because our God is the God who can kill and make alive. Our God is the God who can give life to the dead. And so yes, pray with David that the wicked would be destroyed. But pray also that they would be raised to new life in your Savior. Notice how David himself prays. We see it beginning in verse 12. David begins to to pray for God to to be involved in social justice. He he wants God to bring justice to the earth. And and I want you to hear David's plea. And I want you to to recognize that, that we are called to that same type of concern. When we see evil going on in the world, we are to be concerned for it. We are to to long for it to be undone. We are are long for it to, to be put right. But I think David's longing for for justice is sometimes misunderstood in our day and age. Some people today hear David's cry against injustice and and they conclude that that every Christian is called to be a a social justice crusader. That that every Christian is called to to devote their life directly to fighting injustice and bringing relief to the oppressed. That this is the only uh, real and this is the only honorable vocation for, for Christians. And from my conversations with with many people over the years, I recognize that many Christians feel guilty for not doing this. Or at least not doing enough of this. They feel guilty for for not being crusaders. They they feel guilty because their time is consumed by other endeavors, by by things like their gainful employment, by things like raising their, their kids, by things like worshiping God and, and spending time with their Friends, they they feel guilty because they spend their time on these things rather than devoted to some cause. I suspect there are some here this this morning who who have been there, who have felt this guilt. Maybe some even this morning who are presently feeling this guilt. So I want you to hear me say that that not all of us are called to be social justice crusaders. Not all of us are, are called to be activists. Some are. And that is good. That is, that is good. That is, that is a, a blessing. We ought to give thanks to God, to those who can devote their lives to this work. We ought to thank God for those who, who make their living advocating for the unborn or, or helping the poor or, or bringing relief to the oppressed. We ought to thank God that He calls many to such work. And we ought to support them with our prayers and with our money. But just, as not, uh, but just as not all Christians are called to, to make their living preaching the Word, 
So not all are called to make their living doing social justice. God's Word clearly shows us that that most Christians will live far more ordinary lives. Most Christians will will fill their waking hours with useful work and the raising of kids and the loving of wives and the making of money through useful work. These are the things that God calls us to. So I want you to hear me say that you do not have to feel guilty for being an ordinary Christian. You do not have to feel guilty for, for living an ordinary life. But, having said that, I do want you to hear me say that you are called to care and to care passionately about these things. You should feel guilty if you are apathetic. You should feel guilty if you are unconcerned. You you should feel guilty if it makes no difference to you because it doesn't affect your life directly. You are not necessarily called to be a crusader. You are not necessarily called to devote your, your hours to this work. But you are called to weep with those who weep. You are called to to care about those who are oppressed. And you are called to lift them up in prayer. This is what we see David doing in verses 12 and and following. Notice what he says. He, He writes, Arise, O Lord, lift up your hand. That is, lift up your hand as in battle. Lift up your hand as to to strike these unrighteous people. Notice what he says. He says, you see, you note mischief and vexation so as to take it into your hand. You you see what is going on here and, and, and you see it so that you can do something about it. And what exactly is it that David wants him to do? Verse 15, he says, break the arm of the wicked. It's pretty intense language. But what is David asking? He is asking for, for their arm to be broken in the sense of their, of their power to be neutralized. May they not have the power to accomplish their evil schemes. May you put an end to the injustice that they seek to inflict on, on the helpless and the marginalized. And more than this, more than just stopping them, would you call them to account until they are no more? That's David's ultimate goal, that the the wicked would be no more, that they would be eradicated from the face of the earth. But what I want you to notice here is that he is calling God to do this. He He is calling God to action. He isn't telling God what he is going to do or asking God to bless his plan of action to accomplish these ends. Rather, he is calling on God to act. He is calling on God to to rise up and to deal with the evil. I think many today regard that as something of a, of a cop-out. They regard that as something of a weak option. They may not say it quite so, so crassly, but they think, well, you know, yeah, sure, it's fine to pray about it, but you've got to do something. You've got to get in, involved. Prayer without action is of little value. And I, I understand that way of thinking. I, I understand the desire to, to do something. I understand the, the temptation to think that, that prayer is, is weak unless we surround it with our efforts. But I want to challenge you this morning not to think that way. Do not think of of prayer as a weak option. Do not think of prayer as a cop-out. Do not think of it as a last resort when there's nothing else that you can do. 
I mean, just think about it for a moment. How much better is it to call God to act than to act ourselves? If you could only choose one, what would you choose? I promise you that if your car was broken down, you would much rather me call a mechanic than seek to help you fix it myself. Why? Because I don't know what I'm doing. I'll probably make it worse. You want the person who is able. You want the person who has the power. You want the person who has the resources. How much better to call the the God who rules the universe to do something than to seek to do it ourselves. Now again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying never do anything. I'm not saying all social justice justice action is wrong by, by no means. Do something. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have. Leverage the the resources that are at your disposal to to help those who who have no resources. Give a week of your vacation to to go and help those who are helpless. Give a a portion of your income to to relieve the the distress of the poor. Give your time to to volunteering and, 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 and serving those in need rather than playing on that second ball team. Do those things. But... Recognize that the first and most important thing you can do, the thing that you must do, whether or not you have the opportunity to do those other things or not, your first call is to prayer. Your first call is to lift up the oppressed before God and call on Him to be their stronghold. Call on Him to to be their relief. It's true, we don't really understand how prayer works. We, 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 we find it mysterious that, that, that prayer can be effective. But God says it is. God says the prayers of the righteous are, are powerful and effective. God says they work. And therefore, we are called to pray. And we are called to pray with boldness. We are, we are called to pray against evil and injustice wherever it exists in this world. What do you pray for when you, when you pray on your knees? What do you pray for when you pray with your kids? What do you pray for in your family devotions? How easy it is to pray for those things that personally affect us. I challenge you. I challenge myself. We must begin to pray against evil and injustice in this world. We must begin to pray even as Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we must make that prayer with the confidence that we see David has. Just quickly look with me at at the end of this psalm. Notice how David concludes. He began crying out, Why, God? Where are you? And he concludes saying, The Lord is King. The nations, that is those who renounce the Lord and defy His rule, they will perish from the land. It's not a request. That's a a statement of fact. This is what David knows to be true. He knows that the Lord hears the prayers of the afflicted. He knows that He will strengthen their hearts. He knows that He will work justice for them. And He knows that the day is coming when man will no longer strike terror in the hearts of those who cannot defend themselves. This is what David knows to be true. And so therefore, while he does not understand God's ways, while he does not offer an explanation of of why God does the things he does, he says, I know God. 
I know that He is faithful. I have seen it throughout the history of my people. I have seen the ways that He has been faithful to the promises He made to my forefather in the flesh, Abraham. I have seen the ways that He brought His people out of the land of Egypt. I have seen the ways that he, he was with them in the wilderness for 40 years. I have seen the ways that He led them into the promised land. I have seen the ways that He has established this kingdom that, that David now rules over. He had seen the faithfulness of God. And He stood upon God's promises even when He did not understand what God is doing. How much more must we today stand upon what we know of God's faithfulness? For we have not just seen the, the, the shadows of His faithfulness throughout history, but we have seen the ultimate expression of His faithfulness in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. Christ on the cross cried out, Oh my God, why have You forsaken Me? He was forsaken. He entered into our misery. He, he felt what it was to be abandoned. He felt what it was to, to feel neglected. So that we might know when He rose again from the dead, that God is with the afflicted, and that God is for the oppressed, and that the poor in spirit will inherit the earth just as God promised. It is with this confidence that we can pray. I don't know what you can do. I don't know what opportunities you have. I don't know all the resources that you're at your disposal. By all means, take advantage of the opportunities He gives you. Leverage the resources He entrusts to you. But first, pray. Pray against injustice. Pray that God's kingdom will come. And pray knowing that God will not fail to keep His promises. And because we pray to such a God, that is why we call even our distress over the problem of evil good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we do come before you now asking asking that you would be merciful to us. Asking that you would open our eyes to, to see you. Open our hearts to believe you to trust You, and open our hearts to cry out to You, Father, that You would do justice in this world, that Your kingdom would come, that Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. Make this the prayer of our hearts and answer this prayer according to Your infinite wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.